Hello and welcome along to another edition of the Feats podcast. My name is Ben, Bicycle Ben UK over on Twitter, facebook.com slash bicycleBenUK or mastodon.online slash bicycleben. Hello, hope you're well. Thanks for joining me for another edition of this uh, this fledgling podcast that I'm doing. Uh, I'm an active travel advocate, if you, if you don't know. Um, and this is your first time, I, I'd say tuning in, but... You know, it doesn't sound quite right, but it feels right to say tuning in, doesn't it? I don't know. Anyway, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'm an active travel advocate from Nuneaton with a focus on improving cycling, walking and wheeling facilities in the local area throughout Warwickshire as well, and an interest in what's going on in the West Midlands and the wider UK and anywhere else, really, that takes my my fancy. But before we get going with the podcast for this week, if you're listening and you haven't subscribed to the podcast in your favourite podcast app, then please make sure you do so. The Feats podcast should be listed on all of the popular platforms by now, including Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon, TuneIn, Podbean, Podcatcher, loads of other ones as well, which I'm sure to forget. You can find all the links over at the website feats.uk slash podcast. That's F-I-E-T-S dot UK slash podcast. And do make sure you share the podcast as well with anyone who you think will be interested in hearing my musings about what's going on in active travel. And if you want to contribute to the podcast, you can do that as well. You can do uh, either single donations or recurring monthly donations, all up to you. Or you don't have to do anything at all. Times are tough. I get that. Absolutely. But if you want to contribute to the podcast, then you can do so. That's over at the website again, feats.uk, F-I-E-T-S dot U-K. Moving straight on from the uh, the last episode where I spoke about what had been going on with uh, the BBC programme Country File and the anti-cycling tropes that were present in that programme, in what could have been a very good programme for uh, promoting cycling and active travel. Uh, it was focused on Warwickshire. It was filmed in Warwickshire, the Lias Line in the south of the county. But it uh, featured some unfortunate anti-cycling tropes. Um, which wasn't very good. And if you want to hear all about my views on that, then just go back to the, uh, the previous episode, uh, where you can, uh, you can hear all of that. So I'm not going to go over it again, but following on from that, we've had more cases of popular media contributing to road hostility. And one very specific case of anti-cycling views being espoused in a popular television program which is disappointing to say the least. It all seems to be coming thick and fast at the moment. Um, we had an unfortunate advert from Ford, the motor company, and this one was particularly disappointing because they'd started an initiative called Park the Car, and this was them trying to say, you know, look, for shorter journeys, just leave the car behind. You don't need the car, which was, uh, it seemed to be a bit of a shift for a motor company to be promoting alternative ways of traveling for shorter journeys and and it's the right thing to do as well because shorter journeys if you're using cars for shorter journeys you're adding to congestion nobody's experience is a positive one if the roads are all too congested I mean we know that from the school run for crying out loud so the message was right park the car leave it behind for shorter journeys walk cycle take public transport but park the car but since then Ford released an advert which was for their focus uh, line of cars but it had the words you don't drive it you aim it and it just sparked this vision 
of the car as a weapon, as something you aim and point at a target. And it was an especially poor choice of words, considering the awful and tragic incidents of gun violence that have happened over in America in recent weeks. And then over here, you have Ford publishing this advert that talks about aiming the vehicle in the same way you might aim a gun. And it just speaks to violence and road violence. It's a common theme in motor advertising to be talking about aggression and power and aiming the car is maybe just another extension of that and it's the wrong way to do things. The advert has since been withdrawn thanks to the work of the West Midlands Walking and Cycling Commissioner Adam Tranter who contacted Ford about this and they did withdraw the advert in the end but it's just an example of more hostility when it comes to road transport. And this wasn't specifically targeted at cycling, of course it wasn't, but it's just an example of the phrasing speaking to mind about what the vehicle is and what it does. It just speaks to that road violence, which can be so harmful to anyone who wants to travel around a local area by foot, wheel or cycle. If you're having to mix with all these vehicles that have been sold to people on the premise of power, of aggression, of something that you aim at a target, it contributes. It doesn't, it's not the sole thing. It's not the sole reason for there being this hostility on the roads, but it's something that contributes to that hostility on the roads. That sense that the car should be here. This is what the car is for. And everyone else get out of the way, basically, because the car is coming through. So that was an unfortunate advert but again not specifically targeted against cycling but something that contributed to an anti-cycling environment fortunately as i say since withdrawn so credit to ford for at least withdrawing the advert after it appeared although it would have been nice if it hadn't got beyond the drawing board in the first place the motor industry really needs to move away from this this framing Moving on to another form of media, though, and this is the popular ITV entertainment show, Britain's Got Talent, which recently broadcast its final. And uh, within that, there was a stand-up comedian by the name of Axel Blake. And as part of his routine, he went into a little bit about cycling. And to be honest, for the most part, it wasn't horrendous, though it was perhaps a little bit tired. But it did feature some very typical cycling stereotypes there was the comment about the enthusiast cyclists if you like who are dressed up in lycra or spandex you know looking like they're going to do the tour de france these sorts of stereotypical attitudes to cycling which don't help at all by any stretch of the imagination but frankly we've heard them all before you know they are what they are there was one particular comment in there that really did make me cringe, and this was about cutting up cyclists and about how cyclists will then complain about when you cut them up in your car. Well, yes, of course they will, because you've put their life in danger. That was probably the most severe part of the routine in terms of anti-cycling rhetoric. You know, almost this uh, attitude of, well, stop complaining, what's the problem? With the, the whole thing about not appreciating the car as a, as a multi-ton machine that has the potential to maim and kill. I, I went on about this attitude in the last edition where we uh, we treat driving too casually. And I think this is part of that. Cyclists will complain if you cut them up or if you in any way infringe on their space on the road. And that's to be expected. And frankly, it's right because there's a power imbalance between cycling and driving. So that was the worst part of the routine. The rest of it, yeah. 
Well, as I say, it was old, tired, stereotypical, the usual stuff we've heard before, but nothing that's you know particularly harmful apart from that one little bit. But the worst bit came after the routine, actually. And after the routine in Britain's Got Talent, the judges, the four judges, will sum up their opinions about what they've just seen. Amanda Holden was one of the judges on Britain's Got Talent, and then she went into her own little bit of anti-cycling rant, if you like. Very, very short, but very unhelpful. And she said, and I quote, The whole cyclist thing, I am so with you. Why do they wear the cameras? They're asking for trouble already. Now, this is one very small comment in a much broader program that has nothing at all to do with cycling, but it came about because there was this routine, this stand-up comedian's routine that featured cycling. And uh, this particular comment from Amanda Holden was potentially more harmful, in my opinion, than the comment from the stand-up comedian Axel Blake about cutting up cyclists. To my mind, watching the program, it was sort of lost, in my opinion, amongst the wider segment on cycling and the broader routine. But Amanda Holden's comment stood out much more, in my opinion, uh, where she said, Why do they wear the cameras? They're asking for trouble already. As though people on bicycles are going out looking for trouble, looking for confrontation. And this is a wholly unhelpful attitude. Now, what's the reason for cyclists wanting to wear cameras? The reason is obvious. It's because there's the power imbalance between cycling and driving. And we're all having to share the same road space. We don't have, by and large, the separated infrastructure that you have, for example, over in the Netherlands that allows cyclists and drivers to stay separate. We all mix by and large. There are exceptions, of course, but by and large, we all mix together. And that means we've got cyclists mixing with drivers and a massive power imbalance there. And cyclists rightly feel like they need some sort of recourse if something happens, if they are cut up, if they are involved in a collision, if they're injured or worse killed, they need that form of evidence. They need that backup there. So there is a reason for cyclists wearing cameras. It's not asking for trouble. It's not to wind up drivers. It's not to create content for a YouTube channel. Anyone who's got a, a YouTube channel and, and films their cycle rides will undoubtedly have come across the comment at some point that says, you know, this situation you've put on YouTube here, you just created it for content. You created it for the clicks, for the hits. Uh, it doesn't matter if your YouTube channel is monetized or not. It doesn't matter how many subscribers you got. Eventually, you will attract that comment. You created this situation for clicks. No, that's not what happens. What happens is simply that we are encountering these particular incidents on a regular journey, whether it be a, uh, a fun journey, whether you're out for exercise or whatever, or whether you're actually commuting or doing a school run or just pop into the shops, whatever it might be. We're encountering these incidents with drivers who are not giving enough space, who are showing impatience or whatever it might be. And then we're uploading them to YouTube maybe as a bit of a name and shame situation, but also to highlight the problem, to highlight what we as cyclists are having to put up with when we share the space and we have to deal with this power imbalance. And it's very useful, I think, to be able to show that sort of thing, particularly if you do the same routes over and over. Maybe you have a number of incidents of the same type at the same location. You can use these videos to 
build up a profile of what goes on on a particular road. You can use this to build up a case to say, hey, this area here is not safe for cycling because these are the number of incidents that I myself alone have encountered over a particular period of time. Can we please have some safe infrastructure here? So there is a genuine and very real need to run cameras by cyclists. Some people will feel they don't need them. That's fine. But plenty of us do. I do. I feel I need a camera to have that backup, to have that evidence, to say, you know, if something goes wrong, this is what happened. The evidence is there. It's recorded. And we can say, this is how this came about. So it is important. And then having people like Amanda Holden come and say, cyclists are asking for trouble. No, we're not asking for trouble. All we want to do is travel safely to go out on our cycles for whatever reason it may be, whether it be fun or whether it be for actual utility purpose, whether it be for commuting, whatever. We want to know that when we go out on our cycles, we're going to be safe. So there is a genuine reason for it. And the comment from Amanda Holden about cyclists are asking for trouble, that doesn't help at all. You've got her making that comment in front of this huge auditorium, this huge stage, this huge theatre, and then also broadcast nationally on ITV1, the major television platform, this popular entertainment programme that's seen by millions and then you're putting this viewpoint across that cyclists are asking for trouble because they wear a camera. That's really, really not helpful. And what does asking for trouble actually mean? Is that incitement for retaliation against a cyclist just for their very existence because they're wearing a camera? And then what about drivers that might have a dash cam? Are they asking for trouble if they're involved in any particular incident just because they happen to have a camera in their windscreen? Amanda Holden hasn't expressed an opinion as far as I'm aware, but it would be rather hypocritical, wouldn't it, to suggest that a cyclist is asking for trouble, particularly if they wear a camera, whereas a driver with a dash cam is not? So it was disappointing to see that broadcast on ITV, on Britain's Got Talent, on the final, the biggest show of that particular series. That's probably got the biggest audience that Britain's Got Talent is going to attract. And this comes just a few weeks after we had the situation on the BBC with the Country File programme that I spoke about last time. And again, I'm not going to go back into that. You can listen back on uh, edition number three of this podcast if you want to hear my views on that. But we've got two distinct programmes with their own audiences. And yes, there'll be an overlap, but they'll target their own audiences, airing these anti-cycling viewpoints that are not helping anybody. In the case of the BBC and Country File, really... I would suggest that they should have retaken the lines that were problematic, done some pickups to correct and fix the problems. Obviously, you can't really do that in a live programme, so I don't know what the solution would be for something like Britain's Got Talent. But frankly, someone like Amanda Holden, she shouldn't have said it. She has a position of influence, and what she said was really not helpful and, frankly, was irresponsible. So, yeah, that was a bit of a disappointment, but uh, let's move on and talk about something that's going on in the Netherlands, because the Netherlands is such an inspiration for cycling, and it's the inspiration for the name of this podcast, the name of the website, Feets, F-I-E-T-S. It's uh, the Dutch word for everyday cycling. And over in Utrecht, they're, um, I wouldn't say they're being radical. The Netherlands, they, they like to drive they have a very comprehensive motorway network and road network. They like to drive, but they also have cycling very much integrated across the country with separated infrastructure, as we know. But they do like to drive. 
and driving is popular and it's possibly even more popular than here in the UK. One thing about driving in the Netherlands is because cycling has its own infrastructure and it's very much kept separate for much of the time anyway, and where it's not, the roads are generally speaking calm and quieter. It's actually a more pleasant experience. That's the general consensus is driving in the Netherlands is a more pleasant experience than it is in the UK. But I get sidetracked. Let's look at Utrecht. They're reducing lanes. In the town or the city of Utrecht on their ring road, they're reducing the number of lanes. So they've got a four lane ring road at the moment. And the plan is to bring that down to two lanes. Why? Well, it's to curb the increase in motor traffic, essentially, and to work as one way to further the take up of active travel for local journeys. Now, the Netherlands already does this with uh, with excellent cycling infrastructure in the main. But Utrecht is trying to further that take up and it's trying to curb the increase in motor transport. Because just like in the UK, where motor transport mileage has been increasing for decades, it's also increasing in the Netherlands. And it's something that can only increase a finite amount before you either decide to yourself, we either accommodate more and that would be through road widenings, uh, extra roads, junction reconfigurations and all the rest to try and eke out that little bit of extra capacity to accommodate the demand that's been growing, maybe a little bit more before everything grinds to a halt again and you have to evaluate it again. That's induced demand. That's one option. The other option is to say we're not going to do anything and we'll just accommodate the number of vehicles as they are now and uh, no more. And if things grind to a halt, well, people would just have to either sit in traffic or look at an alternative. That's a perfectly valid option. Or there's the third option. And you say, well, maybe we've got too many cars and maybe we should do something about that. How can we not only curb the increase in motor traffic in this area, but how can we reduce it? And you reduce it by reducing capacity. So that's what they're doing. They're taking a four lane ring road and they're going to reduce it down to two lanes. And I thought this was particularly interesting because here in Nuneaton, in the middle of England, a few hundred miles away from Utrecht, we're so utterly different. We have a ring road. We have a ring road. This is about 1.3 miles. It's not very long. It's not very big at all. And Nuneaton is a very different kettle of fish to Utrecht. Of course it is. But we do have a ring road, a short one and it's congested. And as part of a broader program of improvements to Nuneaton called Transforming Nuneaton, one of the things is to look at Nuneaton's ring road and how it can maybe better work. Now, here in England, looking at a road and thinking, how do we make this work better? That generally means, how can we get more cars through here? And that's been pretty much the starting point for improving the ring road in Nuneaton. It's not about reducing lanes, it's about opening it up, it's about improving the flow of traffic through the area. Now to be fair there is a desire to put some cycling infrastructure in and plans are up in the air at the moment and I can't go into details about what those plans are even though I've seen some preliminary designs but they're very much under embargo. But there is an intention to put some cycling infrastructure in place how much cycling infrastructure is up in the air, how good that quality of infrastructure is also going to be up in the air, because the priority is to create the space for motor traffic to flow better. 
So here in England, in Nuneaton and Warwickshire, we're not looking at saying, okay, we've got too many cars going through this area. How can we reduce those cars? We're doing that option of, we've got too many cars going through this area. How can we improve the network to accommodate them and maybe accommodate a small growth of motor traffic over the coming years as well? Before, as I say, everything inevitably all grinds to halt again because of induced demand. So we've got such a polar opposite way of looking at our urban road infrastructure between what's going on in the Netherlands, in Utrecht in this case, and what's going on here in Warwickshire, in England, in Nuneaton, specifically a small town in the middle of England, where we're not trying to curb the growth of motor traffic. We're not even trying to say, okay, we're just going to leave it and people can sit in traffic because that's capacity and we're not going to offer any more capacity. We're actually going down the road of saying, have more capacity drivers and also cyclists and walking will squeeze you in where we can. Now, to be fair, the infrastructure that goes in may well be good for cycling. I'm not saying it's going to be bad, but what I am saying is that there are two angles to come at for enabling a modal shift from motor traffic to active travel. One of those ways is to improve the infrastructure for active travel. Absolutely. And that is one angle that is being looked at. The other angle is to make it more difficult to drive and to accept that when a road is at capacity, that's it. There is no more. And that angle is not being followed through. And it's a difficult one to to push. I can see how it's a difficult one to push. You've got people coming at you saying, traffic here is a nightmare. Do something, do something, do something. And the do something is do it the way we've done it before. We still want to drive. We want to drive on the school run. We want to do our small trips into town because that's what we're used to. That's what we're accustomed to. And that's the way life is set up. So it's natural to say, okay, hey, I want to pop to town on a Saturday for a coffee that's only two miles away. And I drive and I'm always stuck in traffic. So do something. Open up these roads. Make it easier for me to get there. Because that's how you've done it before. You don't, by default, go somewhere else. You don't look at another option. So it is difficult to say, sorry, drivers, you're at capacity. If you want to drive, you're going to sit in traffic. It's even more difficult to say, sorry, drivers, you're at capacity. And oh, by the way, we're going to take some away. I can get that. I do get that. The political implications of it are tricky. Framing it the right way is tricky. So maybe it does have to come in a specific order. Maybe we do have to have the cycle infrastructure in first before we can then contemplate saying, actually, we're going to take a bit of your road capacity away. Or actually, we're not going to put any more road capacity in. But hey, have you seen that nice cycleway over there? Why don't you take your bike? I don't know. All I know is at the moment we're in a sort of crisis situation with the climate emergency and air quality and resources. Fuel prices are going through the roof. How quick do we want to make this change? How quick do we want to get people out of their cars and using something else? Or even just sharing cars would be a start as well. Fewer single occupancy journeys. If we want to be radical, 
that means we have to do both the infrastructure for cycling and the reduction of capacity for motor vehicles at the same time. And that is a difficult political sell, I get that. But maybe it's necessary. But it's just interesting seeing what's going on in Utrecht on one hand, where they are reducing that capacity. And yes, they do have the good quality cycle infrastructure, I get that. But they are reducing motor capacity. And then here in Nuneaton, in a small town in the middle of England, where we're saying we need more capacity to get vehicles through this space. And walking and cycling will give you some infrastructure, but we're very much doing that secondary. And with that, we're pretty much out of time for the podcast. There was going to be a whole section about the upcoming Bedworth Physical Activity Hub, but that's going to have to wait for another time, perhaps over into the next edition of the Feats podcast. So if you want to hear all about what's going on in the neighbouring town of Bedworth, just slightly to the south of Nuneaton, sandwiched between Nuneaton and Coventry, then do make sure you are subscribed to the Feats podcast in all the usual places, all the popular apps, whether it be Apple or Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Podbean, Podcatcher, you name it, it's probably there. If I've missed one, then you can certainly let me know, but it should be listed in all the popular places. So do make sure you are subscribed to catch the next edition of the Feats podcast, which is released on an irregular schedule. So I'm not going to tell you when it's coming up. You'll just have to subscribe and be pleasantly surprised do share the podcast with anyone who you think might be interested in hearing my my musings on what's been going on in active travel and cycling specifically you can tell people to find the podcast in apps by searching for feats cycle and remember feats is the dutch word for cycling so that's f-i-e-t-s so feats cycle in your search boxes in your apps and it should pop up alternatively head over to the website feats.uk slash podcast and all the details all the links will be there or you can just listen online as well on the website however you prefer to do it and uh, if you fancy contributing to the success of this podcast and want to send a few pounds my way then uh, again head over to the website feats.uk and all the details of how to make a single or recurring donation are over there and anything you want to send over my way is uh, very gratefully received so thanks very much for listening do join me next time on the feats podcast as i say hopefully i'll be going through some information about the bedworth physical activity hub and how that will be providing for cycling or maybe not hint hint that is coming up and anything else that takes my fancy about active travel and cycling see you then bye bye <laughs>